Father in heaven, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for the blessed week. We thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity we have to come and study your word. May you please guide us once again with your Holy Spirit. Lead us, O Lord. Help us to see the truth that you want us to learn and apply to our lives today. May you please guide us is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of our study this evening is When Talking is Enough. We're continuing our series in the Wilderness Wanderings. So glad that all of you have decided to join us. And we're quite far into the study already. You know, the Israelites, they had already rebelled. They had now been sentenced to just going round and round in the wilderness. And not much is really written of the Israelites being in the wilderness for that 40 years, just going round and round. However, there are several stories and encounters that the Bible does give us and detail for us as we come towards the close of these 40 years. And as Moses is bringing the children of Israel, and God again, as of course, is bringing the children of Israel to the borders of Canaan, and they are soon to inherit the land. And there are some of these encounters that are important for us to study. And today is such an encounter that we find in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So Numbers 20, it begins with the death of Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister. She is the oldest of the three siblings, and not much is said in regards to her death, but surely it was not something small. She was the one that led the children of Israel in singing when the waters came crashing down on the Egyptian host and the army and God delivered them with the Red Sea. She was the one that led them in timbrels and singing and song. She really held a prominent place in Israel. She was a prophetess, which meant that God would communicate with her and through her to the people from time to time. To what extent? We don't know. We we never really see her, in a sense, prophesy and give any prophecy, but we know that she was a prophet or a prophetess. So she held a really important role in the camp, in the nation of Israel. And moreover, she is mentioned with her brothers as being instrumental in bringing the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 4, this is what we read. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And it's interesting to note that even though the names are not mentioned in the order of birth, Miriam being the oldest, and then Aaron, and then Moses, yet it seemed like order of importance. And nonetheless, she was one of the more prominent and important people in the nation of Israel. And she would pass away in the wilderness. She would not be able to enter into that promised land, the land of Canaan. However, Let's continue in Numbers chapter 20, shall we? Let's keep reading. 
Numbers 20 and verses 2 to 5. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt, to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed, or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. So once again, trouble arises in the camp. And once again, it is about food and about water. And what do they accuse Moses and Aaron of? They accuse them saying that they were the ones that brought them out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness. They're wishing that they had died with their brethren in the wilderness. Once again, they're comparing, they're complaining uh, about this whole situation and comparing to that seemingly comfortable life in Egypt. There they had seeds, they had figs, they had vines, they had pomegranates, they had all these nice and seemingly exotic fruits. And it's not that they were starving. I mean, the manna was still falling every day for them. God was still providing for them. He was still feeding them and sustaining them. And it would not cease until they entered into Canaan. So they were complaining because they didn't have something more tasteful and sweet to eat. Remember, the manna had this taste of honey to it, right? So it was sweet already, but I guess they had a sweet tooth that was not easy to satisfy. Maybe they were just tired of eating the same food over and over again, a food that God fed for them, a food that he himself prepared for them. We cannot even understand and know what manna was, but yet it was so nutritious that none of them died of starvation or lacked nutrition. None of them were malnourished. Their, their feet did not swell. It was food that was given to them to sustain him, sustain them in the wilderness going round and round for 40 years in the desert, in the heat. But they were ungrateful. And so here they were complaining again. However, there was one seemingly valid complaint. Yes, the water had stopped running. You see, everywhere in the wilderness that they went, water had always been provided for them. It wasn't just one instance where Moses struck the rock and water came out flowing for them. No, wherever they traveled, God always provided water from a rock. He always provided water for them to drink. Let me show you. You see, in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 21, this is what we read. And they thirsted not, When he led them through the deserts, he caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also, and the waters gushed out. Do you see that? It wasn't just one instance at the very beginning that that God provided water for them. When they were in the desert the whole time, God would continually provide water for them out of a rock. And it wasn't that they were camping at the one place and staying there for 40 years. No, they were moving round and round and going round. And wherever they went, God always provided water for them. 
in Psalms 105 verse 41. Look at this. He opened the rock and the waters gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river. Water had been provided for them throughout all their sojourning in this, in this desert, in this wilderness for 40 years. And so when the water ceased, they began to complain. And naturally, it seemed like they had something valid to complain about. But really, was there grounds for their complaining? Now, of course, we know the answer. Of course, there wasn't. Of course, that this complaining was unreasonable if it coupled with the food, right? So they were complaining about the food, and then there was no water left. But what was the reason why the water stopped? What was the reason why it seemed like they had no water left to drink? Was God really making them die of thirst, something that was so important for everyday life? Was God really doing that? I mean, the water really did stop, but why? What was the reason? You see, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Look at what the Bible says. Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward, and command thou the people, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. Ye shall buy meat of them for money that ye may eat, and ye shall also buy water of them for money that ye may drink. So the water had stopped because they were going to pass through Seir which belonged to the children of Esau, and they were meant to buy food and buy water from them. And God had promised that they would be protected, they would be safe. The children of Esau would be afraid of them. God had given them instruction that they were to get all these things from them, but yet instead of choosing to follow that instruction, they chose to complain about the lack of water. And so, What they should have seen is they should have seen this as a sign from God that they were about to soon enter the promised land. You see, all this time, the water had been coming out from the rock and now it was ceasing. Now it was about to stop and it was signifying that something else of a different order was about to take place. In all the 40 years that they'd been in the wilderness, In all the 40 years that they've just been going round and round, they never had to buy water or even food from anybody. And now all of a sudden, 40 years, God says, that's it. No more water from this rock. Now you are to go and buy the water and your food. So it included, I guess, food on top. The manna hadn't ceased yet, but they were to buy the food from the children of Esau. It should have reminded them and shown them that a change was about to take place, that their wilderness wanderings was about to come to an end. What was meant to be evidence that God's promise was about to come true, that they were about to inherit the promised land, became to them a moment of doubt. You see, they desired the blessings of the wilderness when they should have looked forward to the blessings of Canaan. 
And that's the thing for us even sometimes. We focus so much on the world. We desire the blessings of the world. We want what the world gives us and we forget and we lose sight of a heavenly kingdom. We, we get so upset when we lose some earthly possessions or we have to sacrifice some earthly possessions or it seems like God has stopped stop providing for us in these earthly possessions without realizing that God has a bigger picture He's got a bigger reason as to why these things stopped, maybe because he's soon to come in the clouds of heaven. And many of us today, we desire the blessings of the wilderness, the blessings of earth, when we lose sight of the blessings that Canaan, our heavenly Canaan, desires to give us. And so once again, The complaining is baseless. There was no foundation to it. And once again, they're wishing death upon themselves. They have not learnt. And of course, when Moses and Aaron hear this complaint, what do they do? The same thing that they've probably been doing every single time they hear this complaint. Let's keep reading. Numbers chapter 20, verses 6 through 8. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water." And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And so they come before God again, asking for help, instead of retaliating, instead of scolding them, saying, why do you never learn, right? Just as the congregation of Israel always complained first, Moses and Aaron always learned to bring their troubles before God. And so what does God do this time, though? He instructs them to take the rod, gather everybody around uh, another rock, and instead of striking the rock, all Moses had to do was speak to the rock and the water would come flowing out. You wouldn't have to strike it. Speaking was enough. And so upon hearing that, what happens? Let's keep reading. Numbers 20. Verses 9 to 11. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, And the congregation drank, and their beasts also. So after hearing the instruction from God, Moses gathers the children of Israel around, brings them around this rock, and however, instead of speaking to the rock as God had instructed him to do, what does he do? He takes his rod and he strikes it twice. And water comes out for the people to quench their thirst. However, on seeing this, How does God react? What does God say? Verse 12 and 13 of Numbers 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, 
Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Because Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it, he disobeyed God. He had disobeyed the command of God that God had clearly given to him. And as a consequence, God said that he, as a result, would not lead the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. He would die in the wilderness with all these rebels, all those that rebelled against God that were 20 years old and upward, all those that would perish by just going round and round in the wilderness. God would give the same fate to that of Moses. Now look, it seemed like such a small thing, right? Why would God have a problem with Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to it? I mean, after all, water came out anyways. Why does it seem like God would give Moses such a harsh judgment just simply because of something so small? Well, let's begin by looking at the object lesson. The object lesson of what all this represents. First, regarding the rock. We probably have an idea of what the rock represents, but let's go to our first text here. What does a rock represent? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So the rock represents Jesus Christ. That's pretty clear. The rock is Jesus. Let's just back that up, back that up with a few other texts, shall we? Deuteronomy 32, 15. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Obviously, that rock there is even a capital R. The rock of salvation is Jesus. It is God. One more, Psalms 62, verse 7. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. So it represents God in general, but we know that that God that became flesh, it was Jesus Christ. And so very clearly, without a doubt, the rock represents Jesus. Now, how about the water? How about the water that came flowing out? John 4, 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This was that time where Jesus encountered the woman at the well, and he led her to, and he showed her that he was that living water that would spring up into everlasting life. That was Jesus Christ. So the water represents Jesus as well. One more text about water. Zechariah 13 verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the habitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And so that fountain of which we obviously know water comes out from, that was to help with the uncleanness and the sin of the world. And that is none other than Jesus Christ. Everything about this picture, it pointed forward to Jesus. 
The rock was Jesus. The water was Jesus. And so the smiting of the rock the first time when they came into the wilderness, when when Moses struck the rock and water came out at the very beginning of the wilderness wanderings, that represented Jesus, the smitten victim, the Lamb of God that would die for the sins of the world. And so when Christ was smitten, the blessings of water, that life, that everlasting life was given to the whole world. This represents the crucifixion of Christ. It represents his death and his resurrection. And so Christ, he died once for the sins of the world. It was not necessary to smite him a second time. It was not necessary for the rock to be smitten a second time. Christ did not die a second time. All we need to do now is just ask for the blessing in the name of Jesus and it will be given to us. We don't need to we don't need to smite anything. We don't need to kill any more lamb. All those sacrifices are useless. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb of God and he does not need to come down and die a second time. His first death on the cross is sufficient to cover anything that we could ever ask of God. And so when we need help, when we need his blessing, we, we need his understand understand his will. All we need to do is ask. All we need to do is pray in the name of Jesus and he will grant us those blessings. He will grant us eternal life. Speaking is enough. And so when Moses struck the rock with his rod, it destroyed the whole significance of this beautiful, beautiful figure of Christ found in the rock and in the water. We don't need to crucify Christ afresh. All we need to do is ask and pray. And so when Moses struck that rock for the second time, it destroyed that picture, that object lesson that God was trying to teach the children of Israel, that God was also trying to teach us in the future as well. And moreover, you have to also look at the way that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. There was a problem with how he spoke to them. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10. They said this, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? The first issue is he called them rebels. And rightly so. The accusation was true. They really were being rebellious all the time. And so what he had said was true, but it was how he said it, full of passion and impatience. You see, the children of Israel had gotten the better of him. With all their rebellious nature, he finally had just got so upset and had enough. And it was evident because of what he ultimately did by striking the rock instead of speaking to it, right? It was a rash act of unrestrained passion and temper. You got to understand, Moses did have a pretty bad temper. You know, most of it had been weeded out when he was uh, a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. But before that, he was a general. He used to push forward and attack and be a man of, of, um, be be on time to just ready at all times. And that surfaced again. And because of this, it opened, for the, it opened the door for the children of Israel to really question whether everything else in the past had been under the direction of God or not. 
or maybe even to possibly excuse their own sin. You do remember when Moses came down from the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai and he saw the children of Israel dancing around the golden calf and they were all naked and they were doing all these things that were just wicked. And what did he do? He took the Ten Commandments that were in his hand, he, he threw it down onto the ground, he, he took those golden images and he ground them to, to dust and made all the children of Israel to drink it. Seems pretty extreme, right? But now Moses is he struck the rock instead of speaking to it and he's like, here now you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And when he spoke those words in, in haste and in, in passion, the people began to question. Was really God behind? Was God really behind all that had happened so far? Or was it just Moses acting out of passion all this time? And so because of his position as a representative of God, and he was the one that stood before the children of Israel and God, his sin, although it was small, was much more magnified. His influence of that sin covered the whole nation because everybody was watching. And so God came down with quick justice. His influence, if it had, had not been checked, if he had not been punished, the people would have thought that they were justified in their complaining. But secondly, Moses also said, what? Must we fetch you water out of this rock? What does this question show in the mind of Moses? Moses is manifesting distrust in God that he would do what he promised. You see, the water situation had been repeating itself again, and he he reminded of the past and what had happened, and it was the hardness of the hearts of the children of Israel and their slowness to learn the lessons that God was trying to teach them that kept them out of Canaan the first time, constantly complaining, right? But also when Moses asked this question about them fetching water, He was pointing to himself and to Aaron. Must we be the ones that would fetch you water out of this rock? He said, we. They took upon themselves the power that belonged to God. It was not because of anything special in Moses or Aaron that water came out. There was nothing special in the rod that they had chosen or because that rod was in their hand. No, it was because God had decided to work through him and through that rod and through their actions. There was no power they had of themselves except God was the one that did it for them. There was no virtue in himself or in Aaron that opened the Red Sea. There was no virtue in himself that he was able to fast for 40 days in God's presence. There was no virtue in himself that when he held up the rod that they would win battles. The sufficiency all belonged to God. And so for just a moment, Moses lost sight of God and he looked to self. He looked at his hurt feelings. He looked at how people were complaining about him and murmuring about him and accusing him of things that never even entered his mind. And for a moment, he lost sight of God. Having been given clear instruction to speak to the rock, instead he struck it. And he took the credit to himself. Must we be the ones that always provide for all of you? And so, him and Aaron took all that power and sufficiency and credit. But you know what's amazing? 
in the mercy of God, even though Moses did not follow the instruction of God by speaking to the rock, and instead he struck it, the amazing thing is water still flowed out. Yes, he didn't follow God's word, but yet somehow God still honored their action and allowed water to come forth from the rock. God didn't approve of his act by sending water, no. But he didn't deny that the blessing, he didn't deny the blessing that he desired to give to the children of Israel, even though they were murmuring and complaining again. You know, many times we overlook the mercy of God to us, even when we walk away from him or disobey him. As a tender father, he still watches over us and takes care of us and, and grants us many blessings even though we don't follow in his footsteps or we didn't didn't do that which he asked us to do. And that's grace, friends. That really is grace. Even though Moses struck instead of spoke, the water still came flowing out for the children of Israel. And you know, we ought to be more mindful and careful to be true and faithful to God, but even more, to count every blessing that we receive from God as well. The big things as well as the small things, yes, even having water to drink. If we would do that, we would find no time for complaining whatsoever. We would ever keep the fresh blessings of God in our hearts and in our minds. You know, every day, my family, my wife and my children, we sit around and before we go to bed, we recount the blessings of the day. And sometimes their blessings are so small, but you know what? It reminds me that sometimes I ought to be thankful for these small blessings. So often, we overlook the little things in life. We overlook it. And many times, if we were to sit back and really think about it, we would realize that we do not deserve it. We don't. And so, friends, I want to encourage you to count those blessings. But coming back to the stories, we close here. You know, Moses and Aaron, in one rash act, put himself with the rebellious and the murmurers and those who would perish in the wilderness. One of the greatest leaders ever of Israel would perish in the desert, not being allowed to enter into Canaan. And we got to take heed that It matters much to God in how we speak and what we say. Not just the words itself, of course, but even how it is spoken. The tone, the feelings, how we communicate to others matters much. And we must be careful to always reflect the character of Christ. Why? Because truly our tongues can set on fire the whole world, and even hell itself. With our tongues, we can destroy a lifelong friendship in a matter of moments. If God held Moses and Aaron accountable for their words and one act, how much more would he do that for us today, who live in a time and in a day where more light is shining on us from God's word? We may think that just one lie or just one gossip or just one little fib here and there or a telltale We think it might not matter much. Or we may convince ourselves that what we just stole was something so small. God, it wasn't very much. It was just a little eraser or, or something so small. We think that many of these little things don't matter much in life. Or, oh God, just for a moment of the 24 hours, I watched something that I shouldn't have been watching on the Sabbath, or I did something that I shouldn't have been doing on the Sabbath. It was just one little moment, one minute. 
And we think these things are so small, but we don't realize that one little stain can mar our whole life. One spot, one dot, it can ruin everything good that we've ever done. Just look at Adam. All he ate was a fruit. You know, friends, we ought to be careful with these little things. We ought to be careful and pay heed to the instruction that God gives us. More than just the Ten Commandments. That is so clear. That's the foundation upon which we stand. But friends, God has given us so much more instruction in His Word beyond just Ten Commandments. And He wants us to follow everything from the diet to the dress reform to the little things in life. Yes, God cares. All God wanted Moses to do was speak, but he struck instead. And because of that, it brought such a great consequence upon himself. God cares about the little things. He cares about the little acts of life. He cares about our words. He cares about all these small things. Why? Because it's in these small things that we reveal our own characters, whether we can be trusted, whether we can trust God's word or not fully. It's in these little things that it shows whether we would even dare to keep the Ten Commandments one day or not. Friends, let's learn to be faithful to God in these little things, for truly, they matter to God and they matter to each and every one of us as well. And so may God help us, help us to watch our words, watch our tongues. And if you're struggling with your tongue, friends, you got to just study the book of James. All you need to do is pray. God will help you. He will help you with your tongue. He will calm you down. He'll make you slow in thought that you won't be able to reply so much. He will give you an even temper, a cool temper to take away that quick tongue. If you would pray and ask, God will do it for you. Friends, let us be mindful of these little things today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for the lesson that you reminded us about this evening today. Moses was kept out of the earthly Canaan because of what he said. But you've told us in Revelation 14.5 that your last day people would not have any guile, no deceit in their mouth. Lord, please help us with our tongues, with it we bless, with it we curse at the same time. But Lord, please, the problem is not our tongues. The problem is our hearts. Father, please change our hearts. Change us from the inside to the out. Help us to be like Jesus. Fill us with your spirit. Give us the mind of Christ that truly we can see what are the important things even to you as well. Bless us, O Lord, to that end. Guide us is our our earnest plea and prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.